at the welcome desk. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. We have two weeks left here in this Heaven series. And today we're talking about the millennial reign of Christ. And I want to point out some different views in regards to the millennial reign. And I want to do my best to speak clearly. There's going to be a lot of information that's coming your way today. So I encourage you to grab a pen to make some notes, different things like that. And just to know too, later this week, the outline from my message will go out in our weekly emails. You'll be able to have that uh, later this week in case you miss something that might be on the screen or as we're going through looking at different passages. But understanding the millennial reign of Christ, there's several different views that would be uh, very popular in the church. The first one is called post-millennialism. And this viewpoint is that Christ is going to return after the millennial reign. And the millennial reign would be this period of time where the church is going to flourish. It's like there's a revival and more and more people are going to be won to Christ to the point where it's influenced our world in such a way that it's like we've now ushered in the return of Christ. That's one viewpoint. The next viewpoint would be something that's called amillennialism. And they would believe that we're in the millennial reign right now. That what Christ did on the cross and when He conquered sin... It sort of, if you will, bound Satan and we have this reign until he returns. And then the other view would be known as premillennialism. And that's the belief that when Jesus returns, which we had that message two weeks ago, that when he returns and he literally steps foot on this earth, it will begin a literal thousand year period where Jesus will reign here on this earth. Our church actually, in the what we believe, in our statement of beliefs, we would hold that position. That it's going to be a literal thousand year period where Jesus will reign here on this earth in the future. And so with that understanding, I'm going to bring you that. That's what I believe. I agree with that. And um, that's the viewpoint I'm going to be sharing from today. Understanding that when Jesus comes back, with all the believers with him, And there's that battle of Armageddon. I I told you a couple weeks ago, he's gathering everybody in the sky that's on his side, and the enemy is gathering everybody to that location, the Jezreel Valley that exists today, and there'll be this battle of Armageddon. And when that battle's over, it will begin this thousand-year period where Jesus will reign on this earth. A thousand-year period where Jesus reigns, Satan's going to be bound thus hindering demonic influence in our world. There's going to be great peace and safety, prosperity. There's going to be justice, righteousness, and the knowledge of God will be throughout the earth. And nature will also be restored to its original order, perfection, and beauty. And we're going to break these things uh, today uh, down, and we're going to look at a variety of passages in regards to the millennial reign of Christ. We're not going to hit every single passage that references the millennial reign, but we're going to hit a lot. And so we'll be able to understand what that kingdom's going to look like. But before we dig into Revelation 20 and begin to see this in Scripture, I want to just take a moment to pray and ask for the Lord's guidance as we get into the Word today. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. 
and how you speak into our hearts and lives, and you tell us things that not only we need now, but also an understanding of the things to come. And Lord, as we spend time together in your word, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives. Pray that you'd guide us, Lord. And I ask that you would use me to proclaim the things you've placed on my heart to share, to proclaim the things that are in your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd settle our hearts, quiet our hearts to receive from you today. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Revelation 20. Buckle up. Here we go. Let's get into the word together, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand, and he sees the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, that is Satan, and he bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and he locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand-year period would be finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. John says, I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. And they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. And blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For then the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now we're going to stop there and let's begin to look at aspects of this thousand-year period, this millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The first thing to understand is that Jesus Christ will rule and he will reign over the entire earth. When he sets up his kingdom, Christ will reign. Let's look at some passages that speak specifically to his reign and his rule when he comes back. From his very mouth, Jesus says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered into his presence. Daniel 7, when Daniel speaks of what's to come in verse 14, he said, Jesus was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end, and His kingdom will never be destroyed. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is one you hear at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But what's interesting is the very next part of that, it says the government will rest on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the book of Micah, the prophet expresses that the Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. And then it says the Lord will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. The kingship will be restored 
to my precious Jerusalem. And in Zechariah 14, verse 9, it says that the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day there will be one Lord, and His name alone will be worshipped. So Christ rules. This is the millennial reign of Christ. One interesting thing is that the Bible says we're going to rule with Him. So there's Christ's reign, and then there's also ours, which might seem a little bit odd, right? We're trying to elevate Christ, not ourselves, but I'm going to give you what Scripture says. He's going to have us ruling with Him. And I'll point that out in these verses here. Revelation 2. To all who are victorious and who obey me to the very end. That's the criteria. To all who are victorious and obey to the very end. To them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Revelation 3.21 Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Revelation 5.10 You've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Again, Jesus speaking in Matthew 19. He says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been My followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And Revelation 20 confirms Jesus' very words when John says in verse 4, He saw thrones, and He saw people sitting on them who had been given authority to rule. Later in Revelation 20, as we just read, it says they reigned with Christ for a thousand years, and they'll be priests of God and of Christ and will reign again with Him for a thousand years. Jesus is going to reign. We're going to reign with Him. One interesting little thing I noticed while I was studying this week that I've never seen before, and I just thought this was incredible. I've seen it in Revelation 21 and 22, and we're covering that next week when God makes all things new. But during the millennial reign, there will be no more night. Think of that. Right now, it's bright as can be out, right? We got the snow kind of adding to that effect. But can you imagine this evening, there's no darkness? It's just constant daylight. And I pull that from Zechariah 14 when he's talking about the millennial reign. It says, on that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. So there you'd think it'd be dark, right? These sources of light are no longer shining. But it goes on to say, yet there will be continuous day. And you think, well, how in the world could that happen? Well, then verse 7 says, only the Lord knows how this could happen. So you can speculate all you want, but the Lord's going to make it be daytime all the time. And in Revelation 21 and 22, when we talk about all things being new, He is the source of light. So we don't quite know what the source of light is going to be in the millennial reign, but I find that very fascinating. The darkness is over, and it will be day all the time. I want to break some things down in regards to mankind. This is where we can start to scratch our head and go, what are you talking about? But mankind, I want you to picture this, it's going to be a blend of people who have immortal bodies and people who have mortal bodies. 
Right now, we're a blend of, well, we're all mortal, right? But think of that. Going different places, and some people have that glorified body. They're immortal, and some people will have mortal bodies. The capacity to die. Death will still be a part of the equation in the millennial reign. That enemy had not yet been defeated. That's going to be at the end, and we'll show you that here as we go. But these glorified bodies, it's these people that have had that resurrection take place because they're believers. So those who have gone before us, those who are part of the rapture, the resurrection, when we are in the millennial reign, those who are in the Lord will have these immortal bodies. And so those who do not have immortal bodies, it'd be people who survive or go through the Armageddon battle. They weren't necessarily on the losing side. But they're going into that maybe as believers, whether believing Jews or Gentiles, but they go into the millennial reign with bodies that had not yet been resurrected and made new. This is fascinating to me. I mean, you think about that. Just, I mean, we can't even really comprehend that in the world that we live in. There are some people that view that there will, there will be only mortals who are believers, that those who aren't believers, they won't make it through Armageddon. And where they pull that from is in Revelation 19, verse 21, where it says that the rest of them were killed when we're talking about the battle of Armageddon. And some people think then that as we enter into the millennial reign, it starts with these mortal bodies of people who are believers, but they've yet to receive their resurrected bodies. But I see it, the way I look at Scripture there will be unbelievers who are also present on this earth. And there's a few reasons why I see it that way, and I'm going to draw it out for you in the Scriptures. I think when Revelation 19.21 says the rest of them were killed, I think that we're talking about those who were there for battle. And I think you've got all these individuals from nations around the world who weren't at the battle, but yet they're not believers in Jesus Christ. Zechariah 14 talks about how there's going to be enemies of Jerusalem that are surviving the plagues and they'll go up to Jerusalem each year during the millennial reign to worship the Lord. And in verse 17 it says, any nation in the world that refuses to come. If you're a believer, I think you would be going. But there's going to be people who will refuse to come and worship And so I see unbelievers here. And you think, a thousand year period where you have these mortal bodies, these people who have the capacity to die, they're going to be reproducing. And our lifespan is going to be different in the millennial reign. For those who are believers now and have the resurrection, you'll be going into the millennial reign with your immortal body. But for those who have the capacity to die, what's very interesting is lifespan is changing. Look at this in Isaiah 65, 20 and 22. It says, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. And no longer will adults die before they lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. I need some help. What's old here on our planet. What would you consider old? Any guesses out there? 80? 
Last night someone said 50. <laughs> and then they looked at their dad like, ha ha, you know. But in the millennial reign, even at 100, that's not considered old for those who are mortal. And then it goes on to say in verse 22, For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. So a little look at the lifespan there. So a question that maybe comes up then is, so what happens to those who die during the millennial reign? Well, if they're unbelievers, their spirit would go to the place we talked about in the very first message of this series, this place of the waiting shield, and they're on the side that would be called hell. And they're in this place of torment and waiting until the great white throne judgment, which we'll talk about here in a second, that's coming at the end of the thousand-year period. If they're believers, what happens to them when they die, if their bodies were mortal? And I don't have anything specifically in Scripture that tells us this is what will happen to their bodies. There's different thoughts and ideas. Maybe they'll get resurrected right away, like, oh, they died, and then boom, they're back again. I don't know. Some think it's going to be a resurrection at the end of this period, and that they just simply maybe fall into this sleep state until they get their bodies resurrected. I don't have anything dogmatically that I can show you to say this is what happens to their bodies, the bodies of believers during the millennial reign who pass away. But understand that lifespan has been increased and that no longer will be people considered old at 100. Let's address some of the landscape. I think this is really cool. Isaiah 14, it says, Finally the earth is at rest and quiet. Now it can sing again. And in Isaiah 35, talking about the landscape, listen to this. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. And the deserts, the deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. Picture a desert right now. And then picture what I just read. You can see the transformation taking place. Any farmers out there? None in this congregation. Okay, one farmer. Paul, you will enjoy this verse representing all the farmers. Isaiah 32, The wilderness will become a fertile field, and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Verse 20, Wherever you plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. This is the kind of state of the landscape during the millennial reign, as you picture that. Very lush and fertile. Let's talk about animals here for a second. Anybody like animals out there? Okay. Pets as we know them, that's going to change. You know, sometimes people will ask questions 
like, will my pet be in heaven? You know, I, I'll just say this. There will be animals in heaven. When I grew up, I had a, a, a dog for 13 years named Trooper. And he was a great dog. Chocolate Lab, lived 13 years. Is Trooper going to be there? I can't answer that question. I don't have anything specifically in Scripture that tells you that your, your loved pet here and now is going to be there then. But I do know that animals will be there. And the Scripture talks about that. But before I get to that, I want us to understand creatures today. When the flood took place, and it was over, and Noah and his family were getting off the ark, in Genesis 9... It says that God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And in the very next verse, in verse 2, it says, All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. When the flood was over, God put the fear of man in animals. I mean, think about it. I, I said last night, I've gone fishing before, and you're standing there, and maybe you see one swim up, and you can see them underwater, but as soon as they see movement, they're gone, right? They're scared. That's in them, and that was put in them in Genesis chapter 9. But that's going to be removed, and that fear of man is going to be gone. And I want to look at Isaiah 11. And it says, in that day the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And then check this out. And a little child will lead them all. Isn't that fascinating? The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. We're going back to the original state. All of these creatures as herbivores, they're going to like gel together now. They're like they're hanging out. It says the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Can you imagine if some Sunday I said, Folks, if you need a nursery, we have one back there today. We have cobras back there too. Just to hang out with the kids, give them a little something extra to do. It says, a little child will put its hand in the nest of a deadly snake without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. A couple years ago, uh, my family went down to the Blank Park Zoo, and there's a tiger and a lion exhibit there, and I, I love these creatures. And so here we are standing there, and we've got this sheet of glass separating us from this creature that would probably tear us apart if it had the chance. And there was one picture I'm not showing you, but it's like, here I am, and here's the face of this tiger, and I've got my camera, right, and I'm just snapping this thing. And I am just blown away. I'm so thankful for that glass, obviously. But to think that there's a day coming, if you go to the next slide, where you see these kinds of creatures that would be very deadly, we're hanging out with them. How many of you would want a pet lion? 
Okay, just the one farmer. Okay, all right. The rest of you, I think it would be cool. I mean, you know, guinea pigs and cats, we, 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 we've moved on, right? I want a lion, personally. And uh, speaking of animals, something interesting in the millennial reign is one aspect of worship will be coming to this temple, this temple that's described in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And one of the things we'll be doing in this temple is animal sacrifices. And you might go, well, why would we even need to do that? I mean, it's clear. Christ has come and he has done that. And as we look at that, it would be seen as almost as a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Like how we observe communion today. In this temple, there will be those animal sacrifices still taking place. Isaiah 56, the Bible says that I'll bring people to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And in Zephaniah 3, people will come to present their offerings. Jeremiah 33 says there will always be Levitical priests to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices to me. And then also, as I read earlier, Zechariah 14, 16 through 17, talking about people coming to the temple to worship, and yet some will refuse to come and do that. I've described to you a moment here that's coming, this thousand-year reign where demonic influence will decrease, and yet there's people refusing to worship God. What that reveals to me, and should reveal to all of us, is how fallen our human state really is. Our human nature is to sin. You take that human nature and you amplify it with demonic influence and you've got a whole mess of bad decisions. But even in an environment where demonic influence is decreased, people will still be rejecting Christ. Kind of helps us understand why people are rejecting Him this very day. This day where there's so much deception and confusion and chaos. And we're saddened that people don't understand the reality of Christ and what He could do in their life. Well, if people aren't realizing it in the millennial reign, should be no question why they're not realizing it right now. The fallen state of humanity. People will still be rejecting Christ, refusing to worship, and this will lead up to a point when Satan is let loose and he's able to go out and deceive and build another army. He's going to try again. And let's read that now in Revelation 20, starting in verse 7. When the thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth, and he will gather them together for battle a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as, he, as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. But fire from heaven 
came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the, the false prophet. Those two, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown into the fiery lake when Jesus returned in Revelation 19, a thousand years prior to this very moment we're talking about. So now Satan is thrown in where they have been. And the Bible says, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Which leads us then to this final judgment that's called the Great White Throne Judgment. A couple weeks ago I talked about the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment for those who are believers, and at the Great White Throne Judgment, this is a judgment for all those who've rejected God. This is a dreadful day, and it continues in verse 11. It says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all who were judged according to their deeds... Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the resurrection for those who are not in a right standing with God, it comes at the great white throne, only to be resurrected then and thrown into the lake of fire. And it's not that they will cease to exist, it's that they will be tormented in the agony forever and ever. That's pretty serious when you think about people in our life that don't know Christ. I've described to you this amazing kingdom that God has in store for those who put their trust in Him. He wants people to experience that. He loves humanity so much, but yet humanity rejects Him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the end will come and Jesus will hand the kingdom over to the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When God created everything at the beginning, death was not a part of the equation. And God is bringing us to that place again in the future. There will be no more death. That'll be the last enemy defeated, and then God will set all things new again. And we'll cover that next week. But understanding these things we've discussed today in the millennial reign of Christ, there's a king who rules right now, and that kingdom is going to be set up here on this earth. Perhaps you've never thought about that before. But it's truth. It's what the scriptures speak about. It's what the prophets spoke about. This day is coming. A day where the king will return. You know, folks, I think it's important to make sure that people know that they're ready for the kingdom. 
You know, to be a part of the kingdom that's going to be set up on this earth, you need the kingdom here in your heart right now. That's the settling issue, if you will. And whether or not you have Christ in your life determines whether or not you'll be in his kingdom. And you'll be able to to experience the things that we've talked about today. And I want to make sure we settle that matter for anybody that maybe feels that they're not quite ready. Let's go to prayer together. Let's make sure that when this service ends today, you know that you're part of the kingdom. And so will you bow your heads with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together as we've been in your word and considering the things that are going to happen in the future. Your coming kingdom. But Lord, your kingdom is also here and now in people's hearts and lives. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that that you don't know if you're a part of the kingdom of God. That when that day comes, you don't know if you'll be experiencing the things I've just described. I want to make sure that you leave this service today understanding who the King of Kings is and your need to put Him on the throne of your life. To receive Christ, you need to understand that this human nature, this fallen state, we're all sinners and we need saving. And that's why Jesus came, to redeem us from sin. If you desire to receive the King of Kings into your life, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just simply pray with me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I surrender. I desire to make you king of my life. Realizing that I'm a sinner and I need to be covered by your blood, today I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness. Today I receive him into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, if there is somebody that did pray with me just now to receive Christ as king of your life, would you just simply acknowledge that with me by lifting your hand up and then placing it right back down? Is there anybody at all that prayed that prayer with me to receive Christ? Simply lift it up and right back down. Thank you. Father, for those that just prayed with me to receive Christ, I pray that you'd make that decision so real for them. As they've made you Lord of their life, I pray that you'd guide them and lead them. And for all of us, Lord, help us to live in light of the fact that people that we know aren't yet in your kingdom. So what are things we can do to help them enter in? Guide us in that, Lord. And we look forward to that day. We thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.